0: Welcome back to Write Pack Radio. This is David Allen Lucas, your host, writer of mystery, science fiction, horror, and poetry. And my co host
1: Hello, I'm Kathleen Kayenbe. I write um, GLBT romance under a pen name, and uh, maybe that'll relate to the topic today. Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits.
2: And the occasional something which is way out of my comfort zone, I wrote a little story called Until Cleopatra Lives at Number 7, which I'm going to read Tuesday night at the Amtrak station at the St. Louis Writers Guild. Open my night. Excellent.
3: I'm Matt McGraw. Uh, I'm an amateur writer. Uh, I write mostly uh, fantasy kind of things, maybe some sci-fi. I'm working on a book called Patrick the Spider, with uh, my cousin Jennifer Stolzer.
4: I'm T.W. Finley. I write historical fantasy and science fiction. My debut novel came out in 2011, uh, called Zero Time. And most recently, one of the Zero Time Chronicle uh, novelettes came out in audiobook. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Congratulations.
5: My name is Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a young adult fantasy writer and illustrator and book cover designer. Uh, working on whatever,
6: whatever. I'm Brad Narcook, uh president of St. Louis Writers Guild, uh, publisher at Blank Slate Press, and uh, I am a steampunk
0: author, and my book will come out later this year. Congratulations. Yay. Today on Right Pack Radio, we're going to talk about what I'm going to call brown bagging books and the brown bagged reader. What am I talking about? A situation recently occurred in Ohio, and this is kind of something which I've always seen growing up when I was a kid, is are you judged by what you read? The situation that came to light recently in Ohio, I am making a lot of assumptions based on the information that was given, is that a young adult, I don't want to use the word couple, but man and woman, probably in their early 20s, um, went out on a first date. And the guy had the woman over, she saw his bookshelf, then he called her and sent her flowers for a second date. She never returned the call. In the process, somehow a radio station gets involved. And all this, to me, tells me that this is a very young adult couple, our young adult man and woman. And the radio station calls the woman and asks her, hey, why haven't you called this guy back for a second date? What's going on? And she says that she looked at his bookshelf and saw that he had hunger games on there and he says she that he had twilight and some other books that fall in that type of range of reader and she said that he was that she thought he was a young teenage girl inside of a man's body and thus did not want anything to do with him so my question to you all at the right pack is are we judged by what we read do writers get a pass and is it fair I think writers get a pass. It's research. It's research. Exactly. I was going to say, my Google search <laughs> had better
6: uh, that, that better get a pass. Yeah, um, There's a lot in there I don't want public.
1: The NSA is not giving you a pass on your No, Google no, search. I know. It's All writers are probably but, on that
0: you know, list. I'm okay with the NSA looking. I don't really care about that.
1: But, yeah,
0: how I have that ended up on a no-fly list yeah. with everything. Because so I write horror and mystery and science fiction.
1: How many bodies can you fit in the walk-in closet?
0: I've looked that stuff what? up. I'm just hoping the NSA knows that, oh, it's a writer. Just move
3: on. Yeah. Yeah. How do crush and sever bones? Yeah.
5: What's the smell of burning flesh?
3: Actually I wonder if there's a Google how to on that.
5: There probably (laughs) (laughs) is
0: Well, I know. I'm now getting us back on topic. When I was I transferred from a public school I'm sorry, from private school back to a public school when I was in seventh grade, so this is years and years and years ago. And I was diagnosed with a learning disability, which to at the time the teachers thought that meant you were stupid. They didn't know, they didn't understand that. It actually means you have a high IQ, but a low area and a couple of academic areas. And my reading comprehension was off the board. But I brought some Star Trek comic books to school because I was bored with the books they were assigning. Actually, I had finished, usually, those books. And they were boring to me. But I know back then I got judged as by the teachers as well as by some of the students. Oh, that's just more proof that he's got a second or first grade reading level. Two years later, just to kind of put that in perspective, I forced the system to retest me. I'm not going to tell you what all the scores were, but I will happily tell you that my reading comprehension at that time was equal to a doctorate level hmm. two years later. So, as an example of a misguide. But anyway.
6: Well, I mean, comic books have always gotten a bad rap anyway. So, beyond that, there are books that come with them a certain, you know, stereotype or whatever you want to call it. But you know, comic books being one, romance novels being another, whatever scary horror novels, you know, being another. But
1: genre fiction.
6: Yeah, I mean, even sci-fi can be bad to some people. You know, I. I, I but God, I hope we're not judged, because well, <laughs> I read a lot and a whole variety of things. So.
1: Well, you're a writer; you're clearly exempt and on the um, NSA's list, like watch list. Yes. So, um, but I think. The cultural overall perception of certain genres has a lot to do with whether or not certain things are acceptable to read. Um, for example, since uh, Comic Con has gotten huge and apparently girls go there now, whatever, what not, never, sorry, that's a thing another time. Um, since Comic Con is pretty big news and a lot of media is going there now to introduce new superhero movies based on superhero comics. It's a lot more okay. I like to see um, fantasy and horror elements and pe- what people read, what people see on TV, True Blood. So
0: It's interesting to say that before I let anyone else jump in is not that long ago, as you're hinting, Comic-Con was looked down upon. Now, Hollywood is not just using it for superhero comics Mm -hmm. and superhero stories to come out as well as science fiction ones now you're seeing mysteries everything everything is coming to comic con as a let's see how people react to this idea cosplay used to be
6: fans dressing up like their favorite characters and now it is literally a job and a stepping stone into greater things within the Hollywood industry.
1: There was a reality show on Sci-Fi about
6: it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we shouldn't
5: advertise for that. But the for point is that though. it's no
6: longer just about the fan experience. You know, which is what cosplay originally was.
5: Well, nerd culture is totally in vogue nowadays. This is true. Mm-hmm. And it. You know, it's thanks to, to Marvel and Disney and the Avengers and uh, the Lord of the Rings movies and all these really popular well-made things but also like the Big Bang Theory and mm-hmm. nerd characters being presented as hyper intelligent a little weird maybe perhaps kind of cute kind of characters in in stuff nowadays so it's and sci-fi channel I'm so sorry sci-fi channel <laughs> is uh Sippy. is making ziffy. <laughs> Uh, they they're, the they've created like what, like four or five shows now about geek culture, you yes. know. And there are really reality shows where they get in nerd off. My big geek offs. wedding today. My big geek wedding. Yes,
6: it's a new show coming to TV. Some
5: the people have... getting married by Darth Vader and stuff. There's
3: all kinds.
6: Check your local Mario listings. cakes.
3: Not only is there a horrible title, there's also a horrible show underneath it. Yeah, exactly, it's truly. But the here's the kicker to that. So
6: when nerd culture goes away, which undoubtedly it will at some point are we then all going to have to start hiding our comic books behind, like, you know, time? Oh, This is going
3: to be a cyclical thing, I think?
6: It, well, you know, most trends are cyclical. So, you know, just whereas, you know, the Victorian age kind of invented the, the bodice... Well, rib- oh, I guess not, because you had the French romances before that. But- I don't know anything about bodices, just by the way.
1: <laughs> I hear you rip
6: them. Yes, well, that's that's one kind of book, apparently. So
3: only when a guy yeah. with a chiseled chin shows up.
6: But fantasy is another one, like a perfect example of geek culture. Like I remember not necessarily taking my fantasy covers wherever I would, because some of them were, you know, questionable to most people. I guess <laughs> you had the scary religious people who would yell at you for reading demon books, and oh, that's then funny. thought Harry have...
5: Potter was going to send kids to hell. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, I love that you said that. I'm going to jump. Off, I'm going to stay in this topic, but jump away from books for. A technically, a second, Mm -hmm. is back in the day, religious people were really coming down on Dungeons & Dragons. Martin, too. Uh, Speaking personally, and I think, Brad, you and I had this conversation a while back, running that game, which is a whole entire book-created game, taught me how to write, taught me how to plot, and how to make characters and so forth. And yet, I had to hide that even at home. My parents were not religious, but they bought into the hype at the time in which even, it was a movie where Tom Hanks was a role player and it somehow broke his mind and he thought he was living in that time period or whatever.
5: Are you sure that was Tom Hanks? I'm pretty
0: sure it was.
6: So I used to have a group, a D&D group, and one of the members of that group had to sneak out of her house as if she were running out on some Friday night to go crazy or something like that because her parents were afraid that she was demon-worshipping.
1: Go, um, go. Well, okay, so this brings me back to um, the topic, uh, is it fair to judge, and if so, for whom? Um, is it fair to make that judgment? Um, in a lot of these cases... Um, the people doing the judging were not actually familiar enough or at all with what they were stigmatizing um, others for, mm-hmm. you know, reading. And just because they led the culture didn't mean that they were actually the experts who should have been leading the culture on certain issues. Um, a lot of religious people, I remember, had come down on Harry Potter, but not the ones I knew who were familiar with Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, so.
5: Yeah, it's not fair to put a big blanket on yeah. religious people.
3: No, yeah. I mean, no you can't. It's a pretty specific, like, group that hears mention of magic in, like, a fictional thing and has sort of a, like,
5: a vocal 1200s, yeah.
3: like, sort of violent reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Which is really, like, that's based around when uh, Christianity was sort of supplanting, like, pagan religions in Europe, is they had to, like, kind of demonize all that, like, druidic stuff as, uh, you know, well devilish (laughs) and all that magic
4: we're seeing a couple of things going on though I mean it's like Harry Potter broke down a lot of the barriers for fantasy and I think we're seeing um, you know Fifty Shades of Grey is doing kind of the same thing for eroticism like it or not and you know for whichever side you're on and some of us like it very well (laughs) Mm-hmm. I there, see that smile there over there. Thousands <laughs> and uh, thousands and thousands, thousands of people thousands, who like it yeah, now. Yeah, finally, you know, and and you could put it on the table is it because of the technology we have because right. you can't see the covers of your books, you know, because you you don't have to explain to somebody you're sitting next to on the plane what you're reading, you also
3: don't have to buy it from a person right. at a counter yeah. and like put it in front of them and say, "I would like to have this for twenty dollars." <laughs>
4: right. Exactly, makes well, a big difference. That's
3: that, why. that made a big difference for like uh, you know for like men in uh, like pornography. You know, mm-hmm. is like the consumption is a lot more now because you can get it over the internet and you don't have to talk to anybody. You I don't have they're... to go to the shady part of town or uh,
0: anything. The, I almost need to, to fade into this were... one, but. Uh, <laughs> What what Teresa was saying and in a way also what Matt's saying, we've seen a huge increase in the sale of romance novels to men. And a lot of it's done electronically. Because they don't you you can be sitting there, you can be reading on your nook or your Kindle or your computer screen and nobody can see what you're reading because they can't see the cover.
2: I think there's a whole lot of snobbery involved in the whole exactly. business of reading. Yes.
5: Yeah. And it mm-hmm.
2: comes from every possible direction. Exactly. In the Post-Dispatch today, for example, there was an article on the top picks, and they have the top 100 picks if you go to their website. Well, in the top 10, how many do you think were fiction? Most of them. Three.
6: Oh, really? Really?
2: And two of those were for teenage girls. There was only one adult fiction on the entire first Mm -hmm. 10 of them. And what I think that says is, and we know that some of the big fiction sellers are actually the best sellers in the land, that people don't want to admit that they read fiction, period. Because fiction is a waste of time.
6: Well, you do have Mm -hmm. the whole intellectual crew who believes that the memoir or the biography or the book that's going to teach them something is far superior than the book that's just going to entertain them. I personally don't believe in that. I'd rather be
3: entertained. While you learn. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. exactly. I mean, there's a lot of learning in fiction. but Well, and also, like, how much are you really going to learn from one person's life like even if you well, if you talk to people who are successful, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know how they got there either.
0: And like <laughs> well, and how much are you going one, to be
3: able to apply like their
6: What about the to industrialized you? nations of the late 19th century or something like that? I mean, history is good, to know, you know. Guess, that's though. that's a book that's going to teach you a lot and a lot of people are going to go, "Oh, this is a very intellectual book." and you know. Fall asleep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the funny thing. We make fun of these books as well because we're all fiction readers who are like, geez, that's just nonfiction. But there's, you know, a ton of people reading nonfiction. I think we all just, I don't know, read what you want. Please yes. just read what you want. <laughs> that, Whatever one holds thing, your interest.
5: Anything against is. the
0: intellectual snobs, may I call their attention to the very books they like to promote that are fiction? A lot of their books, and I'm sorry, I'm not a John Steinbeck fan. And I'm not. I'm not going to go off on them here, uh-huh. but a lot of the books that they liked, like John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Gra- The Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> yes. Ouch! Keeping that one. <laughs> okay, that is staying on. The yeah.
5: Don't let him because, take that oh, off. Yeah, the write grapes, that. sure.
0: <laughs> grapes of Wrath were about the dispossessed during the Depression, and that was a teaching thing. And I was looking at social change. Another one of the authors is uh, Sinclair's The Jungle. He is also one that actually that book led. To changes in the meat industry, because at the time it was being written, you when you had sausage or hot dogs, you really didn't know what kind of meat was in there. It Could have been human, mm. along other things.
1: Don't eat the mystery yes. meat.
0: So, Sully and Green is people. the idea of fiction. <laughs> it, someone said, and I, I wish I could remember who it was now because I will prepared with this. But someone said, fiction is nothing more uh, than the truth wearing a mask. Yeah. Well. I
6: mean, all science fiction is, you know, an allegory of the time in which it was written.
0: Well,
3: an interesting thing I heard you say is, uh, let's see, uh, intellectual people, their books... And it's... Yeah, isn't I'm making hearing, you non-intellectual? Well, no, there's there's like an idea I'm hearing here. Reverse there's snobbery? Like, there's like different groups of people, yes. and they're all in competition. Readers come in clicks, And like yes, they yes. identify based on what they read. I and believe we it's are just like us and
1: them. <laughs> oh. Yeah, see, see we're should,
3: pretty good, but they're bad. We should oh, yeah. all be
6: one. What's wrong? They're books. They're lovely things. I read romance. I read fantasy. I read nonfiction. Uh, So
3: you're a trader basically (laughs)
6: I read everything, I'm a centrist of reading I sit there in the center and I read all the books around me in the bookstore At least I'd like to Mm.
1: You can't be neutral in this you cannot so I'm not neutral i not be centered Oh so you're Wait oh, You're a writer Aren't you yeah.
6: Exactly oh, okay. We're not all like... exempt anyway <laughs> <laughs> Exactly yeah. Do you know Most of the books I've read in the last few years Are either people I know Who published the book Or a book that I am working on So it's that Like literally That's been my reading mm-hmm. The last couple of years And
4: that's kind of An interesting thing too Because I have read books I never would have read exactly. Because of people You know Who are writing them And because I know them I read them And I've, I've been surprised Very often Very nicely Surprise, you know because of the things i've read so it kind of has broadened my perspective and my snobbery to where yeah used to be you know maybe i wouldn't pick up a romance book but i started hanging out with romance writers when i first started and i got a whole different exposure to the genre and you know it's a different appreciation so a lot yeah. to be learned very there. true and
6: i i very much the same story in terms of romance i did not read romance i never would have read romance and now I must confess to having read many romances because I know the authors or, mm-hmm. you know. And I, didn't, Go ahead.
1: I didn't think I was a big fan of romance, and um, I write it now. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a revelation to me to realize that a lot of the stories that I liked reading had romance elements that I didn't mind. I thought they were great. Mm-hmm. And also oh. uh, Disney how many stories exactly in the, ever that's after. a perfect yeah. all of the fairy tales yeah. ever exactly. almost
6: every story out there and i say almost cuz there are a ton that don't but almost every story <laughs> has a romance element to it Mm-hmm. I mean especially some of the great ones you're mentioning all the Disneys I mean what Disney does not have a romance at oh. its core
1: and fairy tales like, exactly
6: room.
1: okay proving the rule she had a <laughs> the one that proves the rule uh, actually was instant, no too, there's just... a husband and a wife pair in Emperor's New Groove, and they are adorable he okay. said
5: okay. it's central to the
6: yeah, plot I, yeah I did say kind of centralized to the plot because most of them are so boys let's not argue there. about you know, yeah. Emperor's <laughs> New Group Mr.
2: Raffles doesn't have a romance at
5: the core are you sure the broadest definition of
2: romance is Tom that Z it's Riley adventure? Sir Silverman do not have a romance in that movie. Right, there are all kinds of I, adventures. I, don't know. I think Fedora has
1: raised do. a good point. Yeah, you, very,
0: very much so. And I know we were talking over it, but as Fedora said,
2: <laughs> the broadest definition of romance is simply that it's adventure, and there are all kinds of adventures.
0: And with that, I'm going to throw out that a lot of the classical literature that we that men like to read, Three Musketeers. There's actually a trilogy there. Um, The Scarlet Pimpernel, There's a romance there, and romance there, and those are called romances.
1: Mm-hmm. Moreover, weren't they serials?
0: Some were, some were, some weren't.
1: Oh, Depends on which so one trashy. Uh huh. <laughs> yes.
6: Well, the French romances, I mean, which is where all of these come from. I mean, they were originally the like Arthurian tales where you had Lancelot and the ladies, and you know where you get all the steamy stuff. of the Arthurian romances all came from the French romances. I mean, that was that was the the hot soap opera of its day, basically. So, I mean, historically there's always been romance. It's it's part of the human life and condition. Why would we not write about it?
3: Exactly. But so, what does it mean to write about it? Well I or, think the point read is, about
6: it. I think the point is, is that in, in every story you're going to find the romance, the the action, the adventure, the mystery, the intrigue. And we try and break that up and say, Oh, I only like reading this when in reality you're reading it all, you're just centering on one. As a genre or whatever.
1: And that's you know, marketing rather than exactly. anything. Yeah. That's just telling categories. you where to put them on the shelf. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
6: Otherwise, we'd all be going by alphabet and that would just take forever.
1: <laughs> so, in part, do we judge books because of the way they're marketed? Like, oh, and shelved in bookstores, so. even if you don't, you know.
0: I think we do. Cover, and I think we have to. Cover. I think we're guided to do it because anything with marketing is to guide the consumer's mind to where the marketer wants you to go.
1: The aim of marketing is to, to sell something, right? and um, when you're in a bookstore or anywhere else, part of the categorizing of the books is to help you find things that you know you will probably like, but um, because some things are more okay to read than others, does that also cause people to not be as open-minded when they go into bookstores or anywhere else? Like, they just go to their section and stop, and is that a good thing? Should there be more crossing of...
3: I think it's definitely a bad thing, just because of our descriptions of uh, mm-hmm. everyone earlier talking about finding new things. There's, mm-hmm. Isn't it wonderful to find something new that you didn't know that you liked and like it? It's like you grow a little.
4: Mm-hmm. do.
3: And you can't get that if you stay in your one section of the bookstore.
0: And I'm going to jump exactly where you're going, because, and I'm going to break away from using the genres being science fiction, mystery, horror. I'm going to break this genre into in terms of your traditional group genre being what some some in the industry have called white bread to Asian American writers to African American writers you walk into a bookstore not depending on the size you definitely walk into a Barnes and Noble a good size bookstore if i'm looking for a mystery i go over to the mystery section meanwhile there could be a whole group of mysteries over in the African American writer section and usually mm. there are and i don't know about them because they're not in the area which i'm looking for and at I understand the reasons behind the breakup is to call more attention to them, and I don't really want to go down this road too far. I want to save that for another time. But it oh, makes let's. you go it makes you wonder: is it is the intention, which is good, a, a disservice to the reader because they're not looking, they're not being exposed to more in that area that they're looking at.
2: I think it might be more of a disservice to the writer. Anthony John, who writes uh, Young Adults, he wrote Elemental, which is up for Churchill and all various materials like that, says that it frees him up entirely to write about anything that he wants because Young Adult is simply shelved as Young Adult, mm-hmm. not as separate
1: genres. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you guys think, then, about the genre crossing that's been going on a lot? Um, for instance, um, Grimm is a police procedural and a you know fairy tale dark horror fantasy tv show all at once well
6: i mean if you're talking about like crossing genres this is a really big trend that's going on right now and mm-hmm. it's for exactly the reason we're talking about in terms of getting more exposure if you're if you've just written a paranormal romance then you have both the paranormal readers who are going after ghosts and other creatures and mystic, you know, mystic, mystical things like that. And then you have your traditional romance readers who might pick it up. So they're banking on two different audiences liking that book. And so far it's worked uh, in a lot of respects. That you have these crossover genres and they do attract both uh, audiences to that book. And that's why. So you're trying to get an even greater exposure. I think you're going to see more of it. And to be honest, I think more books could be represented as cross crossing genre than are actually thrown out as being a crossing of genre.
0: Let me I throw something out about genre real fast. And I agree with what Brad's saying is, genre really is an invention sometime in the 1970s or so. They came out for booksellers to be able to put books on shelves. Gen- genre merging are... Bringing different genres together have been going on. I don't know for how long, but I'll throw out um, Arthur Conan Doyle with Sherlock Holmes. If you look at Sherlock Holmes and you look at it in the time period it was written, it is both mystery and science fiction because it's when you, it's forensic science and psycho and forensic psychology coming about into its, into its day and being merged with a detective fiction, and you end up really having mystery and science fiction combined.
3: That's true. That thing with the science fiction, because the thing he does with the ashes, mm-hmm. the cigar ashes, is completely, like, that never came
2: true.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like he just thought, certainly this could happen at some point. I'm just going to put it in there. Mm-hmm.
0: And but... then let's, let's jump to... Um, when did it start coming out? 1950s, book-wise, and movies in the 60s started coming out. James Bond is spy thriller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spy thriller meets science fiction.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: All of his gadgets. Moonraker. Moonraker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> book, book, and our movie. But anyway, yes, Moonraker. Um, that was the movie was a true sci-fi. But all of it, really, a lot of all that stuff is science fiction meets another genre. So I think it's. I think sometimes genre, the idea of genre, trips up the reader as well as sometimes trips up the writer.
1: That's interesting that you say the idea of genre, um, because my next question was then, um, how do you guys think that the increased connectivity in the world and the prevalence of Internet bookstores and websites like Goodreads where people can just review the books that they like or they don't like, how do you think those have affected people's decisions to be open or not to new books or new genres that they may not have wanted to even consider before or thought existed before? Well,
6: the internet has really, I mean, if you look at Goodreads, you know, Amazon, any of those, they have the recommended. And those are not always necessarily in the genre of which you've just entered in, you know, whatever book. I uh, you can debate algorithms all you want, but... Uh, you know, the the visibility of it, being able to just click on something and see a whole variety of books. I mean, you're seeing stuff you never would see. I mean, you'd have to walk all around a bookstore for hours and hours and hours, which, okay, we all at this table have done, but <laughs> the majority of people may not do at every bookstore they enter, in every city they enter. Um, but yeah, so to that end, uh, yeah, I think the internet has really opened it up. I think other things, social media, you know, it The best way of marketing a book has always been, you've got to read, I just read this book, you've got to read this book, here you go. That has always been one of the best marketing tips, and getting somebody to read a book. And I think with the internet, that's only grown. You know, we now have the ability to see that it's coming like, oh, this book's got five stars, oh, that's excellent.
1: It's not just the one kid in your town that's like, oh, whatever, they read that. It's Mm -hmm. kids from everywhere saying, this is amazing. You're like, huh, maybe that kid knows something I don't.
6: I mean, if you look at, like, some of the the more specific, like, some of the the really just amazing, like, bullying or some of the real teen psychological books that are out there, I mean, those books probably would not have gotten much push in a non-Internet culture because you're dealing with people who are vulnerable, exposed, people who are not necessarily going to share that I read this amazing book about how I cut myself, you know, or something along those lines. These are topics that now, through the Internet through help groups, through just, you know, contact with other people who maybe have these same, you know, traumas as you, you can get this book in your hand. You can read it. You, this book can change your life. And to be honest, that is something that would just never have been in the pre-internet culture. You know, I don't think you would have gotten the level of exposure that some of the great writers who write some of these books now, you know, can do.
3: You know, there's a, uh, I think the big thing there with the recommendation is that You know, even if somebody, like a regular person, spent an hour looking around... Regular person. An hour looking around a bookstore. You know, it's not a matter of just seeing the book. It's also having an impetus to buy it over the other 5,000 that are in Mm -hmm. there. Like, there's... Just looking at the backs, like, if you don't trust your own, like, judgment enough to be like, read the first page and know, you need some kind of, you need somebody with, like, some sense of authority or some sort of little push to just get you to settle on the one.
1: Someone who knows enough of your tastes. In some cases, an algorithm.
3: Amazon really hopes that's their
6: five star thing.
4: That was really
1: (laughs) why I quit reading science fiction when I was younger because
4: I did not know anybody else who was reading it. And there's some really, really bad science fiction. Oh, yes, very much so. And, you know, so if you're out there stumbling around, you know, bookstores and garage sales and stuff like that, you're going to come across some stuff that you just really don't want to read. And so it really has helped,
1: you know, as things have progressed to be able to find things that are excellent. And I never have trouble finding anything now. Can I open up a can a can of worms then? Fandom, connectivity on the internet has allowed people, not just like who love a particular genre, but a particular fandom, say Star Trek or Star Wars, because I read those, mm-hmm. um, to to know that there are other people out there and to gather at least online and chat about things that they love that they may not be able to do with you know most of the people around them physically.
0: Well, let me throw that let me throw right in there. There is a science fiction author who he's one of my favorite. I'm going to admit to it, David Weber who writes the Honor Harrington series. And it turns out now there are Honor Harrington conventions. There are Honor Harrington fan clubs where people dress up and cosplay just like they do with Star Trek and just like they do with Star Wars. I have actually yet to find a a true fandom that doesn't have,
6: you know, its community. Whether it be, you know, D&D, whether it be... You know, a, a certain particular Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, uh, Firefly, you know, anything like that. E- even even some of the crazier stuff that some of the teens and other people are into that you would consider less fandom, like Vampire Diaries or, you know, even some of the, you know, Arrow for one. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I, I think in this age... There's almost a fandom for everything. There.
5: Everything has its message board.
6: Yeah, hmm. everything has
3: its fan fiction,
6: mm-hmm.
5: which yeah. is
1: a
3: uh,
5: that's rather uh,
1: stigmatized by a lot of people too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say that's a little further. <laughs> that, that, down that's a the whole topic. area of Boom people talking that about that. we leave that one out that. for yeah. now because that is an entire other discussion. Yeah, yes. the only thing I'm going to say about because
0: everyone fiction. looks bad at fanfic. <laughs>
5: well, kidding. excuse you. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm, kidding. Yeah, I'm you totally
0: know. joking. The only thing I'm going to say about fan fiction, and then I'm going to shut up about it, is it's a dangerous fiction. It's a dangerous fiction because it Ooh. plays with someone else's copyright. And you're, you're to borrow se- several <laughs> lines from various authors I've, ta- I've heard, fan fiction does not exist. If fan fiction existed, oh, I and I, that means I would have to acknowledge fan fiction of my books exist, thus I would have to sue my readers for their use well, of my copyright.
5: No one's holding his hand over a stove. <laughs> but, that, but, what, but
0: what they're trying to say is, they know that it exists, they love that their readers are doing fanfic, but on the legal side, if they admit to it, that they know that it exists, and technically by their contracts and all that stuff, with the traditional publishers, and by themselves as well, they might have to go after them for monetary reasons. Just don't um, try and make money on fanfic. On that subject,
1: though, oh. this, is all, this is all about money again, um, which brings me back to marketing and judging people. Is it fair to judge people... Um, based on what, you know, monetary issues. Sorry.
6: No, if okay, if you want to read fanfic.
1: No, not just fanfic. No, no, no,
6: I know, but anything. Go for it and and run with it. Read it. It's yours. You know, take it in, make it a part of you. It's better
3: than you part being part of the T V tribe. If you wanna you know, but if you
6: wanna go out and try and make money or if you're gonna try and market something, then that's something that you have to rethink and you have to come back to. You know, in terms of what you wanna do. But in terms of reading, I don't think there should ever be a limit on what we read.
5: And creating as well. Being inspired by something is not a crime.
6: No, no. And flexing your muscle
5: you know, flexing your muscles is how you get stronger. To so, me, fanfic
6: is just like doodling. You know, I'm, I'm writing in my favorite world the same way I could doodle a picture of a Jedi. I'm going to write about a Jedi. And I'm, it's, you know, so long as I don't try and make any money, Disney has nothing to come after me for. It.
1: I think, Jennifer, you said there is, um, uh, what was it, the forum for every... Yeah, message know. board for everything? There's a message
5: dip. board for everything.
1: There, so, um, because there is a message board for everything, and we know that other people are like us, um, reading whatever it is we're reading, um, does the judgment of others who are not on that message board, for example, does it matter as much now whether people judge us for what we read? Oh yes. And if so, who What's, judging you is I have the worst?
5: Witness the fandom wars. Yes. I know who is pitched against who in the fandom wars. <laughs> It's always... It's human nature to be competitive and to be aggressive to people who have different opinions than you. Unfortunately, yes.
6: I think for the same reason we have cliques in high school, we're going to have different areas of readers who are going to look badly at others. You
5: want to feel included, so therefore someone has to be excluded. Otherwise, there is no inclusion.
3: I think you're better people are better off in the age of the internet though because uh you know it used to be like if you had some really niche interest you'd probably be the only person maybe in your town that you knew that was into that Mm -hmm. and now because the internet is there you can always find your little group and you'll be like hey i'm the one that's from australia oh there's only one of you there that's so interesting (laughs) exactly
1: so you know there's a wider group of people that are like you and it's not just to you. Does it make it easier when then other people oh, are like... That's empowering. You're reading a... You're reading... What was it? He was... He had um, Hunger Games on Hunger his show? Ga-
0: Hunger Games. Which you I definitely, Hunger Games and you're a
1: boy. Oh, no. Except that then there's... An entire population, yeah, mm-hmm. obsessed with the Hunger Games. Somewhere
6: there's a ton of male rea- readers screaming out, and you know,
1: I read the Hunger Games." <laughs> so does that make it easier in these cases to deal with the judgment, or does it change anything?
3: Did nobody call into the radio show like any women be like, "I'll take him, yeah.
4: send them on over"? <laughs> yeah, you know, you'd I,
2: think.
0: I would think so.
1: That's I an educated, I rounded them. man who, Hang who on,
2: reads. Just a minute, I think any woman who had a grain of sense would say. Right on. Mm-hmm. Make sure that Absolutely, you yeah. like a guy before you go out with him again. Oh no, no, no! She had no she wrong obligation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, she has, has no her. gosh, no. Oh.
0: Say anything yeah. to As him fr- even. As a friend of mine said, "Oh my god." He read! He
1: reads! <laughs> Just that alone. He and reads books with female main characters? and oh, Wow, and well, them?
6: okay,
0: since we're jumping on that bandwagon, let's talk about guys. <laughs> Actually, let me pause, yeah. pause, we'll pause guys for a second. Yeah. Let me pause for a second, and then I'll turn this over to you. When this first came out, this idea for today's episode came out, I posted this question across a bunch of writing Facebook groups asking, hey, what's your opinion? Give me your thoughts, and that way we feed into it. And one of the, one of the statements that I was written. I absolutely loved is, Guyamitz. Yes, I do read that, and you know why? So I know what the girls are talking about.
2: <laughs>
6: well, there's that too. Yeah, but, you know I and also that can be
2: scary too. Well, yeah. I also you know
6: I read some romance just because it's good. I mean, you know, the, some of the paranormal romances. I mean, yeah, there's some romance in it, but there's also a lot of demon slaying and a lot of kick and butt and a lot of craziness. So I'm, I'm reading the book, yeah, and I'm, I'm not reading it because it's a romance. But this goes to why guys read and. To be honest, there's a whole push now that, oh, we've got to get guys back into reading, and, oh, guys only like one kind of book, and that's the, you know, they call it guy porn right now, and it's, you know, I love Real. detectives, and I love I love thrillers, and I love spies, but, you know, I, I loved, uh, you know... The Ian Fleming novels and mm-hmm. everything else, but is that the only thing I'm going to read because I'm a guy? And no. The answer is no. There's a ton of other stuff on the shelf that I'm going to read and, you know, in no way does that affect my manhood.
1: Okay, I so... Um... On that note, then marketing stereotypes, guy fiction, um, it sounds like they're not entirely accurate to the actual demographic of readers who are. Well,
6: I am sure there are a lot of guys out there who want to read a book where the main character goes around and beds every woman that he sees and shoots every everyone that he's looking at. You know, so... To be honest, those novels, they probably resonate with a lot of men. So it's probably smart to market those books to men. But the notion that that's the only thing that's going to draw men back into reading is just... Not really true. I mean, to be honest, we need to get more boys reading, and then those men will grow up and continue reading.
5: I dare say it's the opposite of the idea that everything for a female child must be pink.
6: Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know,
5: <sighs> The same thing is happening to all sorts of groups when the core decision-making body is not entirely sure what they're looking at as far as the market goes.
6: Yeah, I mean, if you look at kids' novels, I mean, that's a great area. How many kids' novels now are read by adults? Mm-hmm. Middle grade included. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry Potter's probably read by more adults than children. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably not, but there are a lot of children. But
2: a, there was a time
3: when it <laughs> was. Yeah. Now they've grown up yeah. and they're still reading it. Really, need exactly. to stop undercutting your, like, what, uh, superlatives there. <laughs> <laughs> like, you see them and then you yeah. just
0: undercut them immediately.
3: Wait, I
5: didn't really believe that strongly. <laughs>
6: one of the things I find I'm in... trying to prevent
0: emails. <laughs> oh,
5: that's another one.
0: One of the things I find interesting about... Strong, strong female protagonists, and, and supposedly men don't want to read that. And I call that BS. I'm gonna, yeah. I'll Ooh. come out of the proverbial clause and say I am a Batgirl fan, mm-hmm. and tip. I loved Will, Willow in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I'm out of here. This is that's it. <laughs> but Joss Whedon is constantly asked and so is um, I love his answer by the way I love his answer (laughs) Joss Wheaton is constantly asked why in his screenplays and in his comic books does he write about strong female characters and his response is because you're still asking
5: yep yes (laughs) um J.R.R. Martin, right? That's
0: what. That's is the that name it? I was trying Didn't to think I of. did say that
5: right? Yeah, I think. Yes. No, it's wrong. G. 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 George. Thank you.
0: Okay.
3: Yeah, it's I was girl. thinking Tolkien
5: as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was smashing them together, which I'm sure he would consider a great honor. Uh, but Game of Thrones, close. yeah, Game Maybe. of
0: Thrones. And he and he says because women are people, <laughs> and if going back to my favorite sci-fi writer, David Weber, the Honor Harrington series is. Uh, literally, a story set in space. Think of Napoleonic Wars, and the main character is a female character, and she knows how to kick butt, and she, yes, she studies female.
1: This sounds like um, another d- topic that we're going to talk about Probably. in another week, but um, writing characters, not stereotypes of gender or race or ethnicity or whatever, um, is what's important. And readers identify and love things with characters, regardless of the gender of both the characters and the readers. Is marketing just not catching up, or is it something else? Like, well, in sorry.
6: terms of writing, if you're writing stereotypes, you're writing flat characters. Yes. Yeah, those are not well-rounded characters. Those aren't deep characters. I mean, you you should go well beyond the stereotypes of any given, you know person, character's type, archetype, whatever, I mean, please reach beyond stereotypes. But it's uh, but,
3: more than a marketer can yeah. sell in a blur. And that's true. And, and a blurb.
6: you'll always The marketer will always sell the stereotype because it's the Easy. most generalized way of being able to aim at the most amount of people. And to defend the marketer, usually they really have a sound bite to get your attention. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need that soundbite. It's right. the only thing that's going to grab somebody's attention. Exactly.
1: Other than word of mouth, which now apparently seems to be complementing the sound bites and everything. Mm-hmm.
6: Well, word of mouth is all. I mean, you know, you if you go back and you look at the literature that got passed around when, say, uh, the Oz series was running around, uh, and I mean, you know, Frank or uh, the Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz. Thank you. Um, that was a long-running series that ran, you know, and kids. It was, you know, the Harry Potter of its day. It was the big kids' fiction. It had, I mean, there were tons and tons of marketing that went around every library, bookstore, you know, wherever you were going to find kids. However, the real reason those books were massively successful is because every parent went out and told every other parent, you've got to get your kid to read these books because they're so magical and wonderful and kids love them. And that, I mean, that's what sold it. That's what got it out. That's what turned it into a giant success. So... Word of mouth is always going to be what creates the giant success. Marketing think. Is, I, think, a, I think marketing is an add to the
0: word of mouth. Okay. Let me ask this question, staying on the judging of what you read. Is being judged for what you read impacted you as a writer in what you write? No, because
3: I'm unnecessarily secretive about everything. <laughs> so nobody knows what I read. So nobody knows what you read, nor do they know what you write. No, it's all, it's all hidden away. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh no, Jen. You cannot tell us what he is writing with you. <laughs> secret is going to be out and wait.
3: She shows everybody, though. Except,
1: <laughs> except he said at the
6: beginning.
3: What like, yeah, just want,
1: oh, out. hi. Do you want to see
3: my new book?
1: Is that, we're teaching your, him is that your
5: decoy I, book? I told his mother what we were working on before he told his mother what we were working on. Oh, man. Well,
3: I didn't want to tell it because the first one is
6: uh, it's yeah, very poor for it. mother. Yeah.
5: Oh, well, to it's that end, I hard. guess, what what
6: are your guilty pleasures in reading? I mean, are any of us willing to throw out what are guilty should pleasures? Should be guilty pleasures? You should, you should exactly. read my
5: book, because my book is just my, a combination of all my favorite tropes all smashed into one cover. <laughs> okay.
1: The other night, Jennifer and I were actually making lists. Well, I was making lists. She was um, drawing awesome things. I and was drawing pictures. Helping, like, jog my mind with things that she loves, making lists of all the awesome things, um, all the tropes and the, uh, the character types and everything that we love reading and seeing in, in fiction. And also on the other side of the page for me, a list of things that I cannot stand. And most of those were like flat, stereotypical things that just need to go away.
5: Most of it mm-hmm. was, uh, most of our dislike pile were things that we were tired of seeing, that we kept experiencing over and over and over again in books and TV and movies and and. Music and all sorts of things. So it was all the tired, unimaginative, lifeless. So you don't swag. like chasing, So
0: you don't like the idea of chasing these little niches that suddenly appear, fad, fads that appear.
5: Well, more like uh, you can. If you're inspired by something, I'm going to use the word inspiration a million mm-hmm. times. But if you're inspired by something, then go for it. I know that my novels are inspired by things that I I have read or watched that I've loved, but then you're getting in, you know, if you're just chasing something, you don't have any passion in it, then yes, you've written something flat that has no life and has no soul and has no legs of its own. It's leaning on someone else's work in order to stand upright. And that's the stuff that, that we don't like seeing anymore.
1: Um, you had asked about guilty pleasure reading, Brad. Um, I adore gay romance. I write gay romance. So it's not really a guilty pleasure, it's just... Something I enjoy anyway,
6: but is it something you admit to most people that you read?
1: Yes, I do. Except,
0: I oh. was oh, so just admitted to the entire world. Of
1: yeah.
5: Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only, oh,
1: the only yeah. reason I write under a pen name is because of stigma from certain yes. people and trying to protect other people in my family who and, would be unfairly stigmatized and because I, I, of I see what I do. Nothing wrong with that. In, in yeah. terms
6: of what you write, but you know, the, the, in terms of what you read, I, like I tell right off the bat, I'll tell you most of what I read, and I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things that I read. You know, I used to not tell people that I was, and as much in love with some of the Dragonlance novels or some of the other TSR novels as I am. And as I've grown up, I, I care less, you know. But and plus now, you know, fantasy has become more mainstream with things like Game of Thrones being on, so I can embrace that and I can say that. But I didn't always, you know. I'd, I'd talk about preferring, you know, classical novels or that great, you know, piece of mm-hmm. literature. You know, Or things that were more along those kinds of lines, as opposed to saying, I'm a huge fan of the Dragonlance Chronicles, was, and I have read them more times than anything else.
1: Hmm. Was the audience that you were speaking to at the moment um, related to whether or not you would be open about it? Not
6: always. It's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of you know whether or not what you're willing to admit to everyone around you. And, you know, as I've grown older, that's less and less.
3: Well, uh, I was just thinking, maybe we've been on the, uh, with this conversation, maybe we've been on the wrong tack the whole time. 'Cause we've been talking a lot about marketers and like genres and all that. But I don't think that's really like the reader's problem with who sees their covers. Their problem is when their girlfriend comes over and the book or a date comes over and a book makes them seem a certain way. So it seems or it seems to me mm-hmm. that it's mostly it about seeming. Yeah.
1: So the stereotyping of readers?
3: It's not it's not like what marketers or genres or any of those people think. It's your like your neighbors, the people yeah. yes. around you. Yeah. And, like, if you have a certain kind of book on your shelf, what they think that means about you.
6: The same way you'd be judged for not cutting your yard, or the same way you'd be, you know, we we fear that, we experience it, you know. So you get
5: fined if you don't cut your
6: yard. Well, Well, there's that, that
0: too. (laughs) But going with what Matt's saying, I've seen this on the opposite version, which is I will walk into someone's house. I am a writer. Gee, what's the first thing I'm going to look at? Of course, people's bookshelves. And I see these classic books. I see the books that you're told oh this should be on your bookshelf and you read and then I look at the dust and I know they might have great expectations and you name the book and it's never been touched and if I was to take it out and actually open it, you can still hear that nice little crackle crackle of yes. first time opening. One, yeah. of the, one of
2: the great scenes in in The Great Gatsby is of one of his sycophants at one of his big parties going into his library and saying, they're the books are real, mm-hmm. and I think that is an interesting thing to talk about too. Do people read at all? <laughs> and according to Chuck Galassi and Value of Reading, one third of high school graduates never read another book for the rest of their lives. Holy cow! Yeah. Oh man,
0: I believe it. Um, my mom, who I take care of, she's in the eighties. She's in her eighties. She does not read books. I do know, and I, she will not admit to it the last book she read was Empire Strikes Back and that was in 1980s.
1: <laughs> okay, so, so. Um, we've all mentioned the us and them um, categories that we put people and everything else into. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is easier for us as people to comprehend the world around us when we can categorize things quickly before we get to know them necessarily because, you know, otherwise we would just go crazy. Too much information can't filter, all done. Um, but it sounds like we all do some level of judgment categorization by what others interests are and um what we think they are like because of those interests um i'm wondering if the question is not should we judge people but How far should we allow that judgment to take our relationship with that person?
4: Kind of going back to that original example and what you said, Fedora, kind of struck home with me because I think it's not totally a bad thing if that particular woman looked at those particular books on that shelf and said, not for me, you know, all right. Maybe that wasn't the right match. And, you know, so I I stand by what I read. And if someone's going to judge me by those covers, that's fine. You know, because uh, I'm a little broader than probably my bookshelf would say even. Because I I read like you, Brad. I read everything. I agree with you. It was
5: her problem, not his problem. Exactly. But she's looking for a specific kind of person, maybe not one who's going to be excited by the adventure within a YA novel. Uh, maybe she doesn't read very much at all and she would it's much rather down. see that he had a bunch of sports trophies on yes. his or DVD cabinet. Collection mm-hmm. or something I like keep it.
1: wondering, though, like, what if those were a roommate's books or what if those were his mm-hmm. sister's books and mm-hmm. so he didn't wrap them yet? Like, I
6: don't think that argument's
3: going to help you if you're going, none are my sister's books, really. No, no, I'm serious.
6: Come no,
1: but I mean, like... She... I
3: don't think that's going to help. There are a lot of assumptions that yes. go into yes. it. Especially mm-hmm. just in that, like, if you see that if she sees the Twilight on there and is like, "Oh, he must have that on there because he likes it." What if it's like really it's full of like highlights of things that he thinks are terrible? Yeah, and it's just like he's writing some well, horrible dissection of it. In, in any
6: date, you're gonna make a thousand assumptions and a thousand you know different opinions about the other person. and some of them are right and some of them are wrong. Who knows, but you know are are we to be judged by a lot of that? It's gonna happen. So but the question is, should we judge readers for what they read? And personally, I, I got to say no, but, you know, I think it's human nature. We shouldn't, but it's
3: probably going to happen anyway. Exactly.
6: Yeah. I'm my bets there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Undercut.
5: Yeah. I
1: think we, we do judge other people, though, and it's part of how we relate to them. I think it becomes a problem when you look down upon them as a them and not an us for what they're reading, especially if you're not familiar with it. Familiar Can your we we all to make a
0: judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. Hold Thanks.
6: hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, turn the page just
0: read along. for the person next to you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'd like to thank everybody for your time and thank you for listening to Right Pack Radio. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used, high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website. (music)